Welcome to Meraki Mentors, a podcast featuring women who create. We interview creatives from every field and around the globe to discuss art, risk-taking, and what it means to live a creative life. Here's your host, Candace Howes. Jackie Shelton Green is one of those special people who instantly leaves a good impression. She is just as impressive in person as her resume suggests, but her humility is both loving and inclusive. When I met her last year, I was inspired and intrigued by her work at Duke Center for Documentary Studies, and I couldn't help but reflect on our conversation. This year, Jackie was named the newest Poet Laureate of North Carolina, an honor that's also historic. She is the first African-American woman to hold the post. A decorated poet, teacher, and community arts advocate, Jackie shares loving words of wisdom during this conversation that spans everything from finding your life's work to challenging yourself with documentary poetry to why every artist must give themselves permission to do the work. The question is, how? Welcome back to our podcast. This episode of Meraki Mentors, we are speaking with someone who is very inspiring um, to me. She was just named the Poet Laureate for North Carolina, and she currently teaches at Duke University. She's a very um, talented and successful writer. So I definitely want to welcome to the podcast today, Jackie Shelton Green. And first and foremost, thank you so much for um, just spending some time with us today out of your busy schedule and sharing a little bit about your art with us. Thank you so much, Candice. It's quite an honor for you to invite me and for us to be able to have this conversation. I've been looking forward to getting to know you and knowing your work better. So I truly embrace this moment with you. And just as like a background story for everyone who's listening. So I met Jackie, I would say, I think it was, I feel like it was maybe February or March um, of last year of 2017 um, at the Durham Arts Council. I was there um, receiving an emerging artist grant um, that's given through various arts councils in um, North Carolina, and we were able to meet there at the reception, and um, it was just a beautiful evening and a beautiful time, so it is definitely great to reconnect again and definitely continue um, this relationship. So I guess I will give you the floor for a moment just to kind of formally uh, kind of introduce yourself and what you do and just kind of share a little bit about yourself. Certainly. So I have been writing, I'm 65 years old. I have been writing since I was very young. Uh, I've been published since the early 1970s. I have a number of books and publication. And my background as a writer has not been in the academic sphere, uh, has not been associated with the canon. I've always referred to myself as a cultural activist or community-based writer, artist. I teach documentary poetry at the Center for Documentary uh, Studies, and I'm very, very happy to be back at Duke. Uh, I did contractual work with them many, many years ago through their literacy and photography program, working with photographers from all over the world, teaching photography and literacy to public school children and teachers in the Durham public school system. So I've circled back around on that sphere. 
uh, I write poetry, and the poetry that I write is pretty much seeped and embedded in story, in the stories of growing up in the rural South as an African-American girl growing up in the rural South, um, growing up in the rural South during the advent of desegregation, during the Vietnam War. Uh, I was kicked out of public schools in Orange County for participating in a civil disobedience act, a walkout. And I landed in a Quaker boarding school in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, the George School. And it was at the George School where I really wrote a lot. I, I was excited about being there, but I was also feeling displaced uh, as a rural person now in a very, this prep school was in a rural environment, but I'm you know, in a situation with young people from all over the country and all over the world. Mm-hmm. So that perspective certainly helped me to texturize my voice, my writing, and also to hone the skills that I needed. So I, I really credit my early, early childhood and my teen years for getting a very deep-seated foundation for what would be sort of the the anchor, sort of the lightning rod that would bring me forth, you know, to this existence of being a teaching writer, being a published writer, being able to engage with other writers from all over the, the world. That's fantastic. And for, I know for so many artists, even myself included, you know, having that um, artistic talent and that desire sometimes does come from an early age and it's very innate in, um, in who we are as people. Would you say that even during that time as a youth writing, did you kind of always know that like, this is how I'm going to spend my life, this will be my career, or did that kind of take its own journey in terms of um, knowing that this is what you wanted to do for a living? (laughs) So writing sort of found me, even though I was very active as a child writing, I never had any intention, purpose, for being a writer. I wanted to be a scientist. I wanted to be an oceanographer. There was a grandmother who um, gave me this love of writing through a very simple act of giving me little tiny notebooks that I took to church. And I was fidgety. I was like fidgety and nosy in church. And uh, I was paying attention to everything. So I would write. I'd write my little stories. And then even as I became a teenager sitting in church, I would slip in my own journals and I would sit there and write uh, because I've always been inspired, influenced, directed by everything around me, the everydayness and the ordinariness of, of life that influences the texture of my work. Um, so I do believe that sometimes our life work finds us. Mm-hmm. And it took me a long time to really step inside of saying I am a writer, even as a published writer. I think it wasn't until I started receiving public acclaim, awards, uh, you know, that I stepped into what that meant. Because my life has not been 
uh, a professional life of working. My professionalism uh, goes back to almost 30 some years of working with legal services as a community economic development consultant, mm -hmm. as a public benefits paralegal, uh, being a development officer and a real hotshot fundraiser for a multi-million dollar uh, child advocacy po and policy nonprofit. Um, and I could go on and on, work the Department of Agriculture. So I was always writing throughout you know, my professional careers, or I should say my day jobs. And it wasn't until 2004 that I was ready to give myself permission to walk away from all of the other work that I can't say was distracting me from my creativity, but it certainly was holding me hostage to a certain degree. And I was not fully seeped into the work, the creative work. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, my, my juice, you know, my mojo was getting uh, weaker and weaker because all of my energy was about the other career. So once I stepped into that, I sort of went full throttle with it. Mm -hmm. um, so that's been my journey to writing. And to be honest, I never, um, never saw myself as a published writer. Writing has always been my yoga. Writing has always been my breath. It's always been my necessary, you know, companion. So I always tell people, mm -hmm. if I never publish another book in life, and I pray that doesn't happen, but I'm good because I would never stop writing. Yes, all of the public awards, this great esteem is wonderful being the poet laureate, but these exterior uh, acclamations do not harvest the spirituality, you know what I'm saying, and the, mm -hmm. the close relationship that I have with my art. It's a very personal relationship, and it's a very solitary relationship. So I'm always making sure that I'm preserving because on this journey, and when you are as busy as I have been and as I am becoming right now, you are not writing. You know, it's impossible yeah. to have, I mean, you can be but so balanced when you're a teaching writer, a public, a writer who has uh, a very high public presence, when you're traveling all over the world, and when you are very service oriented. So I'm very careful that I have to often tell myself enough, you cannot accept one more speaking engagement. For the six, next six months, you must write. Mm -hmm. You know, because the um, the output of energy, to be honest, is far greater than what I'm bringing in. That's not to say that my readers and public audiences do not feed me because they really do and they nurture and nourish me. But the creativity juice, only I can, you know, can 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 dig deep to make sure I'm not exhausting it. Yes. What's a few things actually stand out to me from, from what you said, but one would be kind of creating that boundary and that space to create, because in so many ways I 
if I look at my own self with writing, I feel like it is something that's very um, personal and very necessary to me, just even as a human being constantly journaling, constantly having a way to process emotions and things that are happening around. So like you said, even apart from if no one ever read it or saw it or thought anything well of it, it's something that is innately a part of my life. But I think it's very crucial to understand that our lives can take us in different places. And sometimes it takes having that intention of setting yourself aside and saying that I'm going to create and I'm not, I'm not going to let these other obligations or outside forces get in the way of that kind of sacred practice. Indeed, indeed, this is true. It's kind of a, a good transition point, I would say, that in many ways um, that probably is a part of the kind of inspiration in a sense for you starting um, Sister Right, which I think would be great for um, you to kind of share and talking about what it's like to have these retreats and these moments where you can kind of go away and be in a um, secluded place to work on your writing or to just have those obligations kind of off of your chest for a moment to kind of get some inspiration. Yes, thank you uh, for this invitation to talk about Sister Right. Sister Right um, is sort of a lifelong dream actualized. I've attended many, many retreats over the years. Uh, some of those retreats were so intense that when I came back, I was exhausted. <laughs> and um, they were too academic for me. Some mm. of those were very playful. So I went away and had a ball talking about writing, mm -hmm. meeting a lot of fabulous writers, uh, but that wasn't feeding me either. Mm -hmm. So I kind of knew what I wanted for Sister Right. I wanted it to be a very nurturing, safe uh, space where women writers could give themselves a permission to, to walk away from their everyday schedules and come be nurtured uh, in a circle of other women writers. Mm -hmm. um, so I have been very intentional about where we uh, go. So we have a uh, central hub, which is on Ocracoke Island in the Outer Banks of North Carolina at my dear friend's bed and breakfast, the Cruise Inn. And we take over his bed and breakfast for from a Thursday until Monday. And in that time frame, I am cooking, providing meals. So women don't have to worry about food. Uh, we create a scenario of an itinerary that's balanced with uh, a lot of open space where mm -hmm. uh, participants who come have an opportunity to just be on their own time frame for writing. Also, because women are so stressed and we are so involved in our lives and other people's lives, be it teaching or raising a family, uh, being a partner, a life partner, uh, being a care provider for an elder, that this is a space where we come and there are no expectations. There is no judgment. Mm -hmm. So if somebody shows up in the first two days, they just need to sleep because they're physically exhausted. Yes. And that is totally acceptable. 
because it is a retreat. And in that sleep time and that space of rest, it might be just the space where your creativity can show up again, can find you because you are open to it. So um, it's balanced with me facilitating creativity salons, uh, sometimes once a day, sometimes twice a day. It varies. Uh, this year, for the first time, I am introducing something I've always wanted to do as a part of, of the Sister Write format is to have other writers in residence. So not only uh, does it, I mean, it is all about me and it's not all about me. It's mm -hmm. all about also a space where other women writers can show up and be the facilitator because I don't always want to be the talking head. Mm -hmm. um, so that invitation is open to my friends and peers and colleagues, you know, who will come be in residence with us, but they will, you know, facilitate several of the workshops or creativity salons that we host. So um, we have a series of, in Sister Write called Writing in Places That Matter. Uh, a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago, we traveled to Lynchburg, Virginia, uh, where the home of Harlem Renaissance and Spencer uh, is, and it's now the Ann Spencer House Museum. We were the first group of people, we were the first writers to be invited in her house since Zora Neale Hurston to sit wow. in her writing cottage. So that was an overwhelming experience for all of us. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, so I'm currently um, reconfiguring Sister Wright in terms of international locations. We just returned from Morocco, where I was there for a month. I hosted a group of women. The first phase was a group of women coming for two weeks, and they left. And then a second group of women came for another two weeks. Because of, of my new post as Poet Laureate, I'm not sure what 2019 looks like, mm -hmm. uh, but definitely I'll probably you know, be back in Morocco, 2019, late 2019. And in another region of Morocco, we were in the south of Morocco this time in the Atlas Mountains and on the southern coast of, of uh, the coastline of Agadir. So I'm very excited about all of these Moroccan, the Moroccan community building that I'm building with writers and allies in, in Morocco. And there are other places that I'm looking at with another friend that I may be possibly collaborating with, Sister Wright and Dream Yourself Awake, which is a fabulous travel group that a girlfriend of mine in New Jersey facilitates. So we're looking at the possibilities of opening up Australia and Europe, perhaps as kind of next rounds for Sister Wright. Uh, Ireland is on the table. Um, so we'll see. Uh, in addition to the getaway retreats, I also host um, one-day pop-up salons. We call them one-day pop-up creativity salons. They are typically a nine to five. Uh, they're very inexpensive. And it's just a great intensive writing day. And those are throughout the triangle, 
I'm actually traveling to Asheville in October to do a weekend of pop-ups. So that's another fun way for women who necessarily can't get away. You know, for a whole retreat, there's the opportunity to have these one-day retreats that have been very, very promising and very important to people. Well, I can definitely say I um, I love what you're doing and being able to create a, a diversity of different formats and locations to fit whatever um, a writer might be looking for, able to do. Um, and I definitely need to, to join on one of these. They sound so exciting. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. <laughs> we would love to have you come. It's very intergenerational. It's very, the diversity is just so wonderful on so many levels in terms of, of age and sexual preference and uh, Muslims, Jews, you know, it's just, it's just beautiful. Uh, and I never know who's going to show up because I do not do a vetting process for Sister Right, though uh, I think for the future Sister Right International um programs i will be more intentional about making sure that the intensity of the workshop in a foreign country you know is what everybody you know making sure it fits the needs of yeah. of everybody because sometimes that kind of journey um it's very very taxing and journey just brings up a lot for a lot of people and being in a foreign place. And not all of us are able to, you know, to just surrender to, to new experience or the unexpected without having uh, expectations or agendas, you know? Mm -hmm. So it is an intensity that I'm very sensitive to and wanting to make sure that whoever travels with Sister Wright is promised, you know, and I can actually deliver a really good time. But the other part of that is someone's readiness uh, to be able to be on that journey. Absolutely. What is kind of um, something that you think is important, you know, if you're on a retreat or a similar trip and you're um, looking for inspiration or looking to be able to produce more work, what is something that you find is kind of helpful for yourself to kind of get your your creativity flowing, so to speak. Certainly. So there's a practice that I do. I just did it for, more, for the women journeying to Morocco. I do it with women coming to Ocracoke. And we do a journeying exercise. And this exercise has been very powerful and very. it seems very simplistic. But just the anatomy of the journey. So I, um, I offer the women an opportunity an invitation to uh, do a journey exercise before they even arrive. And that entails a series of questions that I send to them, you know, to discuss what does, what does a journey mean to you? And uh, what do you need to extrapolate? What do you need to as we're crossing the Atlantic Ocean, what do you need to metaphorically drop into that ocean? Mm -hmm. So this journeying exercise of metaphorically just dropping, like, you know, whatever you're carrying, that's not going to serve, you just drop it in the ocean on the way over. 
And, you know, we do this on the ferry because the journey to Ocracoke is even a long journey from the triangle. Mm-hmm. It's a six hour, it's a four hour drive uh, to catch a ferry. And then it's a two and a half hour ferry ride. So on that ferry, I ask people to do this journeying exercise. What are you needing to leave behind? You know, writing out uh, how journeys have served you and kind of um, what does this journey mean to you? How, how do you want to show up in this journey? What do you need for other companions on this journey with you? You know, what do you need from them? And there are more questions. I'm not looking at my list right now. There are many more questions. And that becomes sort of the, um, the footprint, if, 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 if I can use that. It becomes sort of a footprint for when we step off the airplane, when we step off the ferry, that you have a, a, a different clarity about why you're showing up. And I think that's directive and it offers some guidance and it helps people to uh, think of writing as this powerful tool that they can use, you know, to dig into that journey. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it sounds kind of like a flip, easy exercise, but women have told me that, uh, when they were on the ferry, they're like, oh, let me pull out my little sheet of paper. Jackie asked me these questions. Oh, let me just write down something. And I found myself like, you know, throwing up over the side of the ferry because I really hadn't thought about what I needed to unload so I could show up in my own authenticity and my own skin. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, what permissions did I need from myself mm-hmm. to show up on the journey? And what permissions will the journey grant me? So there there are many questions, and by the time people work through that, they've worked through a lot. And um, for most people, it's it's a refreshingly daunting, welcomed exercise that just helps them um, to be in community and to be in community in a very affirming way for the rest of the community. If, if that makes sense at all. Yes, it does. It definitely makes sense. Um, and I like this idea of thinking about the journey and, and what that means to each person. Um, because in so many ways, art is a way that we are honestly preserving ourselves and our experiences, even our entire um, entire era, just of the world around us at any given time that we're here. Um, and kind of documenting those experiences. Um, and I think it's important that we are constantly asking questions of ourselves because it's in searching for those answers that we not only come up with the best work, but we also have a better understanding of just who we are as people. Exactly. And, you know, I'm asking a lot of people who might be meeting me for the first time in Morocco. Mm-hmm or in Oklahoma, to trust me, to trust the process, you mm-hmm. know, to trust total strangers. You know, you're going to be with women for anywhere from, you know, in Ocracoke, it's like five days. Some women you're meeting for the first time. But what I have seen is an incredible sisterhood grow out of these chance meetings. The very first sister right group remains intact. Uh, we travel 
to a lot of Sister Wright events together. One of the Sister Wright women who came to Morocco has has done everything Sister Wright has. Any event I have ever offered, sponsored, she's shown up. Mm -hmm. You know, so that, that core group for the very first Sister Wright, they met, they bonded, they are support systems to each other. I've, another instance was uh, a huge Sister Wright one day pop up. There are about 20 women there. And unbeknownst to me, what grew out of that one day, all of these friendships and a collective has happened where these women meet on their own without me to critique each other's poetry. Mm. Uh, they email each other's work. And that's exactly what I want Sister Wright to do. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's a business for me because my, you know, my only work, I'm an artist. I'm a cultural activist. Um, I'm not a full-time professor at Duke. I don't want to be a full-time professor at Duke. So, you know, Sister Wright was to also augment my, my, my revenue. Mm-hmm. But the beautiful thing, you know, the, the real currency of all of this for me is to see what happens, what goes to the next level. You know, when two or three women go off and retreat on their own. Um, those are the magical things that I celebrate. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. As uh, the byproducts, the um, the side effects yes. uh, of Sister Wright. And Sister Wright does have deep community. I don't advertise a lot. I don't market a lot because all of the events that I've sponsored pretty much sell out immediately. Uh I have lists, I have waiting lists upon waiting lists for, you know, Morocco trips and trips to Ocracoke. So I just feel very, very blessed that my intentions have been blessed to make this what I've wanted it to be for women. And, um, and I also want it to be a model, um, in this day and age, everybody and their mother and their sister has a writing retreat. Yes. Uh, and I'm not buying into the competitiveness of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the right is different. I'm not saying it's better or it's worse than anybody else's retreat, but it is different. And I stand for the possibilities of what happens in being different inside of Sister Right. Sister Right welcomes every woman mm-hmm. because we all have powerful voices. We have these stories that need to be unearthed. Mm-hmm. And many of the women who come to Sister Write are sometimes emerging writers or non-traditional writers. And often they are not writers at all. They're quilters mm. or they are uh, sculptors or they are artists who are looking for the narratives inside of their other art forms. Dancers have come. So it's an open door for anyone who espouses to want to explore their creativity, be in community with creative women, and build community. Because for me, that's what the arts is truly about. It's about building community. It's about changing the world, one story, one poem, you know, one dance, one song at a time. And we have to intentionally create these spaces. And it's about the food. We eat well at Sister Right. I'm a good cook. Yes. <laughs> I love 
and nourish people. Mm -hmm. So uh, they have finger popping, finger licking, sucking stories that they tell about the food. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, it's good. It's just good. It's just good medicine when we're there with each other. That is beautiful. And I think it's it's always beautiful when you're able to create something that does um, flourish and become a greater extension of the community. Because so many, um, so many of the women that I've even been able to connect with doing the show and talking on the podcast have have really reinforced the impact and importance of community and their well-being and in their creativity. And so it's beautiful to see how that's flourishing. Yes. I wanted to, um, as we're kind of nearing down here, to um, ask you about your class that you teach in terms of documentary poetry. And I know for a lot of people, they're probably wondering how those two things kind of come together in a sense. Um, so, and I know I was very inspired by um your description of it when we first met. So if you could tell us a little bit about what documentary poetry is. Sure. So the most simplistic um, way to talk about documentary poetry is to think about it as a form of poetry that, that seeks to document or capture a historical moment uh, or a current event in words, images, sound, video, podcast, you know, any other kind of media. Um, and I teach a gen genre in terms of, you know, it can be spoken in first word or, you know, it can be a third person perspective. So documentary poetry, you know, uses primary and secondary source materials, uh, to texturize and form the poetics. So, you know, it's, it's often, uh, containing quotations or images, um, you know, say from a historical document. So for instance, one of the documents that my students and I uh, look at and examine and dismantle is the Magna Charter. So when they're writing a response to the Magna Charter, I'm saying the Magna Charter, uh, they may actually use quotations or lines from the Magna Charter um, or Natasha Threthaway, when she was Poet Laureate, went to New Orleans with a film crew and documented the horror of people losing their lives and homes from ward to ward. So some of the, you know, there was, there were images, there were quotations, mm -hmm. but her poetics, you know, was uncovering the truths and retelling that historical event. Um, so in my documentary poetry uh, class, we look at look at marginalized histories and histories. Uh, we look at narratives, um, but my students write a lot of documentary poetry, starting with their own pre-existing documents. So one of our first exercises is to uh, to do a selfie poem. So we do a whole a whole unit on the selfie where we discuss the militarization of the selfie, the industrialization of the selfie, the commercialization, the politicalization, mm -hmm. you know, of the selfie, uh, the sexualization of the selfie. And they have to do 
a selfie documentary poem with no images. So it, it's totally based on primary and secondary documents. So it's very interesting. Some have chosen. One of my immigrant students chose his primary um, sources were a stack of letters and cards as the first immigrant child of his family to attend college. And all of the letters he'd received from his grandparents and his siblings um, and his the first book he learned to read from because as a child he did not he couldn't read he didn't talk and they worried about him and now you know he's an amazing student at Duke uh, other students have said well my primary document is the lease to my apartment I guess I'm grown now because it's the first thing I've ever signed in my name uh, so it you know it could vary what those primary secondary documents look like some people, it was a birth certificate. It was a passport. It was their family's or historical page out of their family's, uh, you know, history of coming to this country through Ellis Island, that historical document. Um, so, you know, family documents, archival material, even public testimony would be considered you know, elements of documentary poetry. So um, for me in the teaching of this class, it's about merging the social with the personal. And that's what my students do do through a very uh, comprehensive introduction to many, many other documentary poets. Mm -hmm. We look at a lot of YouTubes of documentary poetry. Uh, there, there's a lot out there. And as a matter of fact, my students are writing nine poems a week, responding to three different, what's more than nine poems? They're responding to three different documentary poets. They are not analyzing the poets, the poems of those poets, but they are responding from three different perspectives to that, that piece of work, you know, pulling out a line or two as their primary source, and then they are constructing their own responses to that documentary poem from three different perspectives. So that's nine poems per, per, per writer. So they're actually, that's three times nine. So they have 27 poems a week. So it's an intense writing class. Um, and they have team projects, uh, that I assigned them, uh, their two teen projects, and then their final grade is based on a documentary portfolio of poetry. And it cannot include any of the poems they've written for their weekly assignments. Mm. But it's fun. We have a lot of fun. One of the most fun things is they, um, they're excited because Lemonade, uh, Beyonce's Lemonade, um, video is a part of the syllabus and they have to dismantle it and uh, i select two students mm -hmm. uh, and i hand them the, the lemonade syllabus because there's a teaching syllabus for lemonade um that's just fabulous and they have to dismantle it and but the entire class has to respond so they present so actually all of the students also every week two students 
are assigned the three writers that they have to present to the class. The, all the classes during the assignments, but I give uh, a list of questions for the treatment of how they examine the documentary poetry, and two people have to teach the class. And I fill in, you know, any, any, you know, any voids. Uh, but they do a t- terrific job of doing it themselves. So this year, I really wanted to change my syllabus, revamp it. I was going to take Lemonade out, and I was going to put in the new Childish Gambino video, mm-hmm. um, you know. But with this new position, I think the syllabus will remain the same. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I have a box of new material that I want to you know, to weave into a new syllabus, but I don't think it makes logical sense for me to do that this year. Absolutely. Um, so we have a, um, a kind of fun segment that we do at the end of every show um, that we like to call Meraki Picks. Um, and so it's just kind of fun, kind of art-related things um, that we put together and ask all of the guests. So the first one would be basically your favorite restaurant or a restaurant that you wish everyone could go to at some point? Well, um, that's a really hard one because I'm such a foodie (laughs) and I have a few favorites. But um, most recently, um, my publisher, Jacob Press, and my family hosted a really wonderful surprise celebratory luncheon for me at City uh, in Raleigh. City is a Lebanese restaurant. Mm. And I'd forgotten how much I love the food because I hadn't been there in a while. So it just reawakened um, my appreciation. Absolutely. Number two would be what is... um, an artist, a musical artist, or a song that um, has been on your mind lately? Well, you know, for the past week, I've been just really, really absorbed with Aretha Franklin and her legacy. Mm-hmm. So um, as many of her songs have been stuck, but I started singing I Say a Little Prayer for You because I was really, really hoping that, you know, some healing light and energy what would hold her with us for a little longer yes um so i say a little prayer for you has been running through my psyche absolutely um so last but not least um which sometimes i feel is can be one of the hardest questions but it's a fun one and that would be do you have kind of like a maybe a quote or a piece of advice, like a saying that um, you kind of live by or that you kind of is your mantra? I do. I have two, actually. And the quote is, tenderness unto the unknown is tenderness unto oneself. Mm-hmm. And that has been a, a tremendous a tremendous guiding point for me when I was dealing with the loss of my daughter uh, when I've been at the threshold of uncertainty uncertainty, mm-hmm. and not knowing if I should embark on something new or, or how do I, 
you know, tamp down fear. Mm -hmm. So tenderness unto the unknown is tenderness unto oneself. And the advice that I try to live by, my mantra, is to show up, is to tell the truth, at least the truth by which you know it, pay attention, and don't sweat the outcomes. Mm, I love that. I'm going to write that and put that on my wall. <laughs> Absolutely. So simple, but they work for me. Absolutely. Well, I definitely want to um, thank you and um, and also give you an opportunity to let us know like where we can, if there's anywhere we can follow you online or just anything coming up that we can um, look forward to. Oh my gosh, there's so many things uh, to look forward to. I was just about to print my schedule on Facebook um, because I have an itinerary that started uh, the minute I got off the plane, literally, from Morocco, that is extended all the way through uh, December of 2019. That is a lot. So, <laughs> there's a lot going on, my friend. Um, I'm going to be doing a lot of readings, and a lot of this will be publicized. The official North Carolina Poet Laureate induction. It will be quite an auspicious moment for me, and and I want to share it because I'm not here standing on my own legacy of legs. You know, mm -hmm. it's a legacy of ancestors and family, and my readers and anybody I've ever interacted with. You know in this realm. So that's the most important one right now. Um, Absolutely. Well, again, thank you so much for just sharing your time and your words and beautiful spirit with us today. Um, it has always been a joy and an honor. Um, and I know it is for everyone listening. So thank you so much. Thank you, Candice. And I look forward to catching up with you. Thanks so much for listening. If you happen to be in the Carborough, North Carolina area this week, you can hear Jackie Reed at Flyleaf Books this Friday, October 19th at 6.30 during the West End Poetry Festival. For more details, visit westendpoetryfestival.org. Also, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes or Facebook. I'd love to hear your feedback and follow us on social media for more updates, words of inspiration, and creative tips. To learn more about today's guest or the podcast, visit MerakiMentorsPodcast.com. Don't forget to create and connect.